Hey everyone, this is Becoming a Bible Nerd. I'm Carrie Hunt, and I'm so glad that you're joining us. We believe this ancient Eastern text was never meant to study alone, so we choose to do it in community. We will take three books this semester, one chapter a week, and really dig in to understand the context and culture that the book was written in so that we can better understand how to apply what God was saying to our lives. Our goal is to equip you and your community to fall more in love with Jesus because you have fallen in love with his word. This season, we are going through the book of 1 Thessalonians, and today's session is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, We Walk to Please the One. Now, I have to say that this book I'm going to say it every week. It continues to blow me away. There is just something in my spirit that is awakening and God is stirring. But the exciting thing is people every week keep sharing with me that God is doing the same thing. Maybe not literally the same thing, but the stirring and the awakening and the excitement is the same. And so we really see that God is moving in here. And there is so much to unpack in this chapter. So stick with me. We're actually only going through a portion of the chapter and we will pick up with the second half, either live at Bible Nerd Nights this Sunday night um, at February 19th, is it? And at Bullfish at six o'clock in um, Bridge City or in Orangefield actually, or I will probably share a little bit of it on next week's podcast, but I really would love for you to come out live and hear the teaching on the second half of this chapter. But the first half starts off with the word finally, and this is a transition word. It's not saying finally I'm wrapping it up. He's really, Paul is saying, finally, I am going to give you some practical steps to live out this Christian walk. And he starts off by saying, brothers, we ask and encourage you in Jesus, as you have received from us, how you must walk and please God. As you are doing, do so even more. Okay, so this word, or the theme of this whole chapter is we want our walk to please God. This word walk is P-E. R-I-P-A-T-E-O, and it literally means to walk, but it was a very common Jewish metaphor, and it ties into discipleship. Your, um, your walk was your moral conduct, your everyday living, how you lived your life. Every bit of how you live your life, your daily conduct, should be to please God. Our highest aim as believers and followers is to please God. We, when we sign up for this, when we say, we make a declaration, God, I am making you Lord and King of my life. What we are saying is I will no longer live to please you. I mean, I'm sorry. No, that's not what you're saying. You're saying I will no longer live to please myself. Now my aim is to please you. And I'm going to need to spend the rest of my life digging through scripture to discover what does please you? This is so counterculture. We live in a culture that is very Greek, and the idea is do what feels good to you. Whatever pleases you, that's what you do. And that can be sexually, that can be even with entertainment, you know, like we, we live for the weekends and we can't wait to spend our money on things that will bring us joy and happiness. But our highest aim as followers of Christ is to live a life to please God. And he's going to unpack what this looks like here in this chapter. Now, I love that he says this in the first verse. 
Um, walk to please God as you are doing. So he's commending them like, hey, y'all are doing this. But he goes on to say, do so even more. Now, you could look at this one of two ways, but we need to look at it with the heart of Christ. If you have maybe had bad experiences with people where you felt like you didn't measure up, you could never do enough. I could see where you could read this into Paul's letter. Like, oh, it's never enough. They're doing this. They're walking to please God. But he's saying, oh, no, 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 that's not good enough. Do more. No, that is not what Paul is saying. This is a picture of a coach. Paul uses many of his illustrations um, for as in the sporting arena, because this in this world of the Olympic games are everything. And um, so imagine a coach sees something gold in you and you are really, you have this natural ability in whatever sport that you're participating in and you're doing good. Isn't it the job of the coach to push you to, to bring out everything that is within you and our flesh doesn't want to push and to fight and so it's the job of the coach to come on as the cheerleader and to develop that gift inside of us and that is what Paul is doing I think of it as well my, my husband is in like the CrossFit world and he's done competitions and you can only push yourself so far but if you have someone screaming in your face when you're doing a deadlift one more you've got it in you. You can do it one more. Then there's something that musters up inside of you and you push yourself harder. And that is what Paul is doing. Hey, you guys are knocking it out of the park, but you've got a little bit more in you. Let's, let's pull this out. So all of that, just from the first verse, and he goes on to say, for, you know, what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. This was so fascinating to me. This word commands um, in the Greek is more of an idea from the military. It's like an officer giving a command to his troops, and it's their job to follow and obey. Now, we know that this that we live between two gardens. The, once Adam and Eve were expelled from Eden, God began work behind the scenes to restore all things, and that is where we're headed to. So this journey between garden to garden is a war. It is a spiritual battle, and there is an enemy that has his own army that are seeking to kill, steal, and destroy, and that's their mission in life. And so what better tactic would they use to lull you to sleep with entertainment and doing things that feel right? Cause it's a distraction, but we are in a battle and Paul is constantly, he's going to say it in, in this text in the Thessalonian letter, but he says it in Ephesians. He warns us to put on our battle gear. He knows this because this is not fun and games traveling from garden to garden. It is the wilderness and there is a battle and our Lord is the general. And we need to get a picture of this in our mind because if there is a battle going on in, in, in reality, you know, my husband, he, he served in war. He was a Marine. He, he went to Iraq. They couldn't sit and wait for the, the general to explain to them the why. They heard orders from the general, from the commander, and they immediately had to obey because if they didn't, not only were they risking their lives, they were risking the lives of the entire platoon. They had to walk and they had to obey and trust their officer. And really that is the part of boot camp. That's the main part of boot camp is to train you to get everything out of you so that you will just follow and obey because there's other lives at stake. 
our lives, we are part of, we are many parts of one body of Christ. And so this idea is that God gives us commands. And right now we're, we're in the middle of the desert. We are traveling to the new heavens and earth. And there's really not a lot of time to know all of the wise. But as you study scripture, God will reveal the wise to you, but we need to just obey first obey. And then he will show you the wise, but it is to get us from point A or point B. It is not just because, oh, I'm almighty God, I'm creator, and this is kind of funny to me to watch, um, to put all these rules on so you don't enjoy life. No, it is for our protection. So then he goes on in verse 3 and says, for this is God's will. Don't we want to know God's will? And Paul is laying it out specifically for this Thessalonian church. He's saying it to them. For this is God's will, your sanctification. That's God's will for us too. But he had to lay out some specific things for them to get there in this verse. But we're going to stop here. We know that God's will is our sanctification. That's kind of a big word. We've talked about it a lot in Romans, but we're going to constantly go back and revisit it. One, because there are some people that are new to this, and maybe they didn't go through Romans. But for two, that is a word that's not in our everyday vocabulary, and we need to be reminded of it. So this word, I'm going to spell it in the Greek, um, hagiasmos. I don't know how to say it, but it's H-A-G-I-A-S-M-O-S. And... It can also be translated into the word holiness. This is God's will for us to be holy. This is God's will for us to be sanctified. This is a process. We have to know this, that this is a process, and it's going to take the rest of our lives to be set apart. When God says, be holy as I am holy, he's saying, be set apart. That is an important Old Testament concept. There was a need for God's covenant people to come out from the world and be distinct from its surrounding peoples. That was God's heart for them to look and to act different. He was saying that, hey, being set apart, we're going to put some boundary markers up that separate us from the other nations, not so that we can be protected from the other nations and look down on our noses from them. It was always to be a light. God chose his covenant people to be a priesthood for the world to, they bared God's image and they were to be a light so that the other nations can know what way to walk in. We see this first, uh, we see in Paul's first letter that Paul is taking this old Testament concept that was exclusive for Israel, but now he's teaching it to a predominantly Gentile church. He's saying, Hey, now you've been grafted into the family. So now your God's will for you is also to be sanctified, to be holy or to be set apart. Here is the balance act that we all have to nail. We have to nail it. It only comes through spending time with him in study, in our worship, in our prayer life. Oh, that's huge. And in repentance. This separation, this being set apart, has the potential to create a prideful, self-righteous, legalistic mindset in each of us. And we had seen this. We see it clearly in scripture with the religious sects, the, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, that when you get close to God and he transforms you, oh, it's a fine balance because then it's so easy for us to fall into the camp of we have arrived. 
we've got this down. I'm going to look down on you because you're not living as holy as me. That is equally a sin. And that will turn people away from Jesus. And his heart is for us to spend so much time with him and constantly be in prayer and repentance because, man, God better pull that pride out of our lives so that we can be so set apart that we are a light for the world to see. And I believe the closer you find that fine line of being balanced, being balanced, we're going to be set apart, but we're not going to think ourselves better than other people, that our light shines brighter. We have to get culture, the ways of the world, out of our lives, but we equally have to get pride out of our lives so that our lamp is not dim, but it's light. And this reminded me this morning of a passage found in Mark 4, no, I'm sorry, Matthew 4, 16, but um, they were, it's quoted from Isaiah, but um, the author Matthew is telling us, there comes a great light. The people who live in darkness have seen a great light. Jesus burst on the scene to be a great light, but after his death, burial, and resurrection, his spirit lives in us, and we are a great light for the world, but the only way for our light to shine is for us to come out from Babylon. Babylon is the world's way of thinking and the world's way of doing life. And he calls us out of Babylon. Our walk cannot be casual. It has to be intentional preparation for the coming King. And that is what Paul is communicating here. We will get to the coming King at the end of this chapter and the next chapter, but our walk cannot be casual. We cannot go through this journey in the desert from garden to garden, skipping and smelling the flowers and being entertained. He does now listen to me. He does want us to stop and smell the flowers and enjoy creation. I'm saying we cannot have a lackadaisical mindset that our time here is just about us and to have fun and enjoy life. We can enjoy the fullness of what he has for us all while preparing ourselves for being a light that is going to shine on the hill. So he goes on to this church and he's telling us, hey, it's God's will, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality so that each of you knows how to control his own body in sanctification and honor, not with lustful desires like the Gentiles who don't know God. I found this so interesting that he is specifically telling this church this is your next step. You need to do this a little bit more, a little bit better. It's sexual immorality that you need to abstain from. He didn't list a slew of other things. Here, it was specific, the sexual immorality. Well, why? I'm glad you asked. This word, sexual immorality, it comes from the Greek word pornea. That's where we get the word pornography. But it doesn't mean the same thing as pornography. Pornography is just an element in under the sexual immorality. So pornea is an ancient Greek word, and it is referring to any sexual relations outside of covenant marriage as God had established it with one man and one woman. So one of the, the you know, the, there's some big ones that we can know. Yes, that's a sin. But in our day and age, premarital sex, marriage Sex outside of a covenant marriage is so common, and this is falls under pornea. We have to abstain from sexual immorality. Now, why was he telling this church this? Why was this the one thing that he's hitting hard on? Well, in the context of this culture, this culture was marked by sexual immorality. Sexual morality like we have never seen or experienced. David Gusick writes that chastity and purity were almost unknown virtues. And in my Zondervan Illustrated Bible Background Commentary, it quoted this ancient writer, Demetheus, and he 
had said, we keep our prostitutes for pleasure, our mistresses for the day-to-day needs of the body, and our wives to bear our children and for the faithful guardianship of our home. In this day and age, Ephesus, this is one of the, the, the letters that, well, it comes from, like we can read the letter to Ephesians, but also John writes a letter to the church in Ephesus. In this town, this major port city of Ephesus, you saw signs for brothels on every street corner. You literally, they're still there today, excavated. They, they carved this symbol into the brick and it was like, hey, you can get sex here, here, here in the temples. Now we've learned that um, the Thessalonican city had many, many, many temples. You had them to Dionysus, Diana, Isis, Asclepius. I went down the list in the introduction. All of these temples had priestesses where priest priestesses yes where you would go into the temple and men would be serviced and this was a sacrifice to the gods they believed that this was a sacrifice and so promiscuity was just a normal thing in fact i thought it was this blew me away the emperor augustus tried to reform this sexual promiscuity by establishing some boundaries and laws against adultery that is how immoral that this town was so you can imagine if you were born and raised in this town and you saw it every single day and you you would embrace it and so paul had three weeks with this church and i'm sure he he hit on this but i'm sure that there's also things that they weren't even realizing were sexually immoral i mean they they just didn't know and so he is encouraging them and saying this is god's will this is part of sanctification you have to flee sexual immorality. You have to have self-control of your own body, and that is sanctification, and that is going to honor God. We can't follow our just our lustful desires like the Gentiles who don't know God, but guess what? You have God, so you have self-control. Christians should be different from the prevailing permissiveness of the day. He also talks, whew, this is a, this gets a little serious. He also talks in verse six and let me get there. Cause I just want to read it straight from the text. Um, my, my dear friend, Madeline, who is in my night small group, she taught on this last night. Cause we assign everyone in the small group, a chapter, whether they've ever taught or not. And she really did such a great job on this. And she kept saying, this is God's word. It's not Madeline. I mean, I'm sorry, but this is what God says. This means one must not transgress against and fraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses. And we also previously told and warned you for God has not called us to impurity, but to sanctification. Therefore, the person who rejects this does not reject man, but God who also gives you his Holy Spirit. Uh, Some things that blow me away is this word defrauding, like we are defrauding our brothers and sisters, if we respond in our sexual practices like the pagans do. So let me see where, okay. So David Gusick said, when we are sexually immoral, we cheat others in great ways, greater ways than we can imagine. We defraud our future mate, our children and the illicit partner. Leviticus 18. If you go back to the law, God gives them so many boundaries. And one of the ideas is that nakedness belongs to your spouse and no one else. So that makes me even think even outside of sexual intercourse, just the revealing of the body that is reserved for our spouse. 
some of the things that um, one of my study partners pointed out, Trisha, she said, and well, I'm just reading from her notes, it is a sin against one's own body. That is what the Apostle Paul is communicating in other parts of Scripture. Well, think about this. He's also communicating that we are many parts of one body. So I think that that's why the sexual sin is so serious. If it's a sin against your body, but you are spiritually attached to the body of Christ, then you are affecting an entire body of brothers and sisters. The sexual act violates the one flesh union with Jesus. Our body is now the temple. So we are allowing the sexual perversion to enter the temple of God because we harbor the Holy Spirit in our hearts. So now we are the temple of God and we are letting that sexual sin. Also, this word defraud, it's a sense that sexual sin is a form of theft. So when we go outside of the boundaries of marriage, we are actually stealing something precious from the person that we are having the intercourse with. And this is things that can go through and affect our spouses 15 years later. You you stole something from somebody else and it's going to affect their spouse and yours. It's going to affect our children because there's, there's this generational, like there, there's this idea that sin can pass from generation to generation, things that we struggle with, we will pass on to our children. And so also one of the things that I am, am just thinking right now, this goes back to the Jerusalem council. For those of you that studied acts with us, when, you know, first of all, salvation was for the Jew and then the Gentile. And Paul was really the first one that went outside of the boundaries of Jerusalem into this Gentile world. And so there are, you know, he goes first to the synagogues. And so there's Jewish brothers and sisters. He's, he's telling the message of the cross to, and they're buying into this, but now there's Gentiles that are wanting it. And those Jews are saying, no, 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 you have to be circumcised. You have to eat like we do. And they're, they're listing all these things that the, the Gentile nations have to do. Um, because God called the Jewish people to live that way. And so it brought so much confusion and division. And so there was, what they decided is um, the leaders of the Jerusalem church, led by Jesus's brother, that they formed this council. And the council said, okay, we need to seek God. And what is his heart for the Gentiles? What are the things that are just for us, for the Jews, that we need to walk out? And then what are the things that are universally the church, the body of Christ need to walk out? And they came up with four things that the Gentile church needed to adhere to. And it sounds so abstract to us or strange, but it's that one, they need to abstain from meat sacrificed to idols. They need to abstain from the blood um, that is found in the meat. They need to not eat things that had been strangled. There was a process of how to eat, um, how, how, how to drain the blood from meat. And hey, when you're in a restaurant and you like your steak um, rare and you cut it and there's this red stuff that comes out, that is not blood. The, the, your meat has been drained to blood. That's a protein. So so don't, don't get worried about that. But the fourth thing is fornication. So you have all this stuff that has to do with blood and meat and how you kill the animals that you ate. And then the fourth thing was, hey, you have to abstain from fornication. What I believe or these are all extremely spiritual things. There is something spiritual about blood, and we cannot deny that. The blood of Jesus, he, was a hu he came in human form, and his blood shed on the cross set us free 
from death and destruction and we get to live an eternal life. You cannot tell me there's not something spiritual about that, but there's also something very spiritual about sex. Think about this. The word says that it, when you have intercourse with a spouse, the two flesh become one. There is something we won't probably fully understand it on the side of heaven, but there's a spiritual act. I mean, that's why all the, in all these pagan temples that they are doing all these lewd sex acts because there's something spiritual and something is glorified and worshiped in the sex acts. And so he is in the Jerusalem council. They said, stay away from all this blood, but also stay away from fornication. This is so important. We have to have this ingrained in us. We have to live it out. This is not that God just is approved and wants us to not enjoy the gift that he has given us, there needs to be boundaries because we are dabbling, I believe, in some satanic, we are opening our door to some satanic things when we go outside of God's very specific boundaries. So what do we do? What do we do when we have dabbled in this, when we have crossed lines? I love that God just makes it so easy. First of all, I want to remind you that in the last chapter, Paul is writing this church that is probably letting some sexual immorality sneak in. And he told them before he ever addressed this, you are our crown and joy. He admonishes them at the beginning of this letter saying that um, we are called to walk and please God as you are doing. Keep it up. You are our crown and joy. Hey, there's some things you're letting slip in. We've got to say no to it. So what do we do? Well, the Lord wants us to walk blameless. And all that means is we are quick to confess our sins, repent of our sins. So confessing is the act of speaking them and admitting to them. And we do this in James. He tells us to do this to our other brothers and sisters in Christ so that they can pray for us. And we do to, for healing to take place, but then we do it to God for forgiveness. So we can confess our sins so that God will forgive us, but we also repent of our sins. Repent means to turn away and go into a different direction, like completely avoid that, go into a different direction, live life differently. And when we repent, when we humble ourselves, when we confess our sins to other brothers in Christ and they pray for us, God can go in and do a supernatural work where he removes those strongholds and desires. And you are forgiven. And so what I want to encourage you today is to not walk in shame if you have lived a life or practice ways that are outside of God's boundaries. What we do is we just get before God and we ask him to forgive us and we choose to have use the self-control that he has given us through the power of the Holy Spirit to walk in freedom. And if you're feeling like, wow, I need a I'm gonna need a little help here, you go to a trusted brother or sister in Christ. And they are to join you in prayer. It's such a beautiful, beautiful thing. So we are, um, th th that is <laughs> the conclusion pretty much of the sexual immorality that in the sanctification that we are to walk in. So he goes on verse nine, he switches gears a little bit and he says about brotherly love. Hey, about this brotherly love. And this brotherly love is an agape love. It is a deep, deep love selfless love. You don't need 
me to write you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. I mean, they are nailing it. In fact, you are doing this toward all of the brothers in the entire region of Macedonia. But we encourage you, brothers, to do so even more. Here's again, you are doing, you're knocking it out of the park. You're showing everybody up. But hey, you've got more in you. Let, let's bring it out. Keep going. He's encouraging them to seek to live a quiet life. So this is love. This is love. He's saying, take a step further, live a quiet life, mind your own biz and work with your hands as we've commended you so that you may walk properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. This is such a beautiful chapter. And I loved um, how my friend Madeline taught it last night. First of all, she studied a little bit more about the, the Thessalonians and found in scripture that they had actually been collecting money and sending it to a church in in Israel and then she got out her maps and she looked how far Macedonia was from Israel and especially in that day where there's not jet planes to get on and she was like y'all their love was traveling so far it was going across the known world the world knew about their acts and their selflessness so they they lived with a big love and he said, do so even more. And then he lists three ways to live love out. One was to seek a quiet life. One idea that David Gusick brought out was that we don't need to live in this idea that we need to be constantly entertained, to constantly have the noise, to have the TV, to have the movies, to go and spend money completely on things that will entertain us. Sometimes it's good just to sit in the presence of God, read a book, spend quality time with your family, go outside and have a meal together. Like just slow down and live a quiet life. Um, not where we have to always be seen and heard by other people. Um, gosh, I just feel like that can go in so many different directions. And what we need to do is just sit in the presence of God and say, what does that look like for me? Specifically for me, Lord, what does leading a quiet life look like? He tells them to mind their own business. I, I mean, it's just simple things. Um, one of the girls, Riley in my small group last night said, you know, for her, Holy Spirit told her, um, or, you know, she just felt like, I don't need to be on social media all the time. So she didn't delete her accounts, but she deleted the apps from her phone. So she's like, I'll check in from time to time, but I don't need to know everybody else's business. I just need to mind my own business. And um, that, that again, I'm not telling you, please don't hear that, oh, you're not living out the will of God if you don't take these apps off your phone. I'm saying get with God and ask him for you what that looks like to show you and to reveal to you how what that means, Lord. What did you have in mind when you said mind our own business? And then to work with your hands. This church or this culture, degrade, um, th they degraded manual labor and in the Jewish culture, they valued it as honorable work. And Paul's leading by example. He's a tent maker. So th this Greek culture was seeping in, you know, it was definitely in Thessalonica. And there was this idea of just not working hard. And, um, you know, they had slaves for everything. And they kind of sat back and, and had these big wild... Oh, I can't even get into that because this is a, um, it's, it's rated clean. And so I, I, I need to stay away from that, but you just can't even imagine the things that went on in this culture, but he's saying, no work with your hands. This is valuable. This is honorable and do this so that in the presence of our outsiders, they can see our light shining basically. 
So we're going to go ahead and conclude here. I think this is a great place for us to spend some time in prayer and seeking God on what this looks like in our week and how we can be that light on a hill that changes our region in a mighty way. And I love that all of this teaching is going to tie in. I mean, you might think, wow, Paul switches gears, but it really is not switching gears when we're going to look at some of the Greek words in this next section. So I invite you to come out to Bible Nerd Nights this Sunday night at six o'clock. It's at Bullfish and Orange. Um, there's a free meal. We kind of are, the heartbeat behind it is to go back to what God showed us in Acts in the early church and many things outside of the meeting in the temple was meeting um, daily in the homes and sharing a meal together. So that is the idea um, is to get our community out and sharing a meal together and it's free. You just get to come and eat. It's family friendly. Um, it, Bullfish is really the coolest atmosphere. They've got the lights and they got things for the kids to play with. And it's just a beautiful night. We take communion together just like the early church did. And um, we enjoy our meal. We worship God together. We're going to be praying for our region. Don't you want revival? Don't you want a great awakening in God to do miraculous things and to heal people in our community and bring them closer to God? So we're going to come together, all denominations, all walks of faith in Jesus. We're going to come together and we're going to pray for our community, pray for one another. And then I am going to teach on this last section of um, the day of the Lord and, and, and Christ's second coming. It's very exciting. It was very important to the early church fathers to talk about this. And Paul tells us to know the, the times and the seasons, not the day and hour. We won't ever know, but we are called to discern the times and seasons. And I don't know about you, but I'm discerning that there we are getting very close and so I invite you to come out if you'd like to sponsor um be a sponsor for some of the meals um I would love to talk to you let me know about that if you want to support the ministry you can go to um, our website becomingabiblenerd.com and, and click on give or you can always reach out to me and I can get with you on how to um to support in other ways um we are going to pray for Israel right now. The Lord is really just showing me his heart in the scripture um, for his people. He is coming back in his, the Israelites were his chosen people that he set a covenant up with. And his heart is for them to recognize him as Messiah. So, so join with me in prayer today. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for sanctifying us. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for allowing it to come alive. Like, Lord, not that we just have head knowledge of you, but we have heart knowledge. And you are transforming us. And you are sanctifying us. And you are setting us apart. Let our light shine brightly. But, Lord, in order to do that, you have to decrease us. And you have to get the world. You have to get Babylon out of us. So speak to each and every one of us in our own ways of how we have Babylon in us and rip it out, Lord God. But we also pray for your children, your covenant people, Israel. We thank you for the God that you are, the God that will keep his promises, Lord God, and will keep his covenant, even though that they always haven't. And we pray that you begin to awaken your people, that they recognize through all of the prophets and scripture that you are Messiah, that you came once and that you're coming back. May many hearts turn towards you with your people. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, it's been great. Again, come out to Bible Nerd Nights. Next week, we will discuss probably a little of chapter, the end of chapter four, because it ties in to chapter five, the day of the Lord. It's exciting. This is nothing to be fearful of. Oh no, this is an exciting day. We look forward to it. We keep our eyes on Jesus. I'll see you next week. Happy reading.